I've seen um, the digital world coming up very clearly ages ago, but now I think the future is really the true blend between digital and physical. You know, from the virtual world to the physical and from the physical to the virtual. What that means is really just having that unique virtual experience and real life experience, experience simultaneously. Imagine for a moment that you're at the stadium rooting for your favorite team. You get distracted and lose sight of the game for just a couple seconds. And then you miss your team scoring. You immediately think about how if you were at home, you would have had the chance to watch the instant replay. And now that you think of it, it would sure be nice to have the player statistics accessible that you like so much. And if only coming to the stadium didn't mean having to wait in long lines for food. Well, soon your experience at the stadium may have some of the same perks as watching the game at home. I think the, the heart of it isn't finding those pain points uh, and seeing how we can make them not so painful. Uh, I think at least the part that I find most fulfilling and most fun is when we can find the opportunities for a magic moment uh, and give the user or uh, the, the crew member or whatever it may be, when we can give them that uh, spark of magic in their day. At Globant, we help companies around the world reinvent themselves and find their way forward through digital and cognitive transformation. We help them create a way forward. Welcome to season two of Unscripted Tech, a Globant original podcast about the trends that are changing how the technology game is played and about what we do with them. My name is Rebecca Reed and I'm a content strategist at Globant. Over the next six episodes, we'll be talking about technology trends that are changing the game for companies across all industries. Each episode will feature conversations with Globers from around the world, disruptors, trailblazers, and igniters that will channel innovation and creativity to provide a better understanding of what comes next with each of these tech trends. Let's dive into season two of Unscripted Tech. On today's episode, we'll discuss how smart venues are becoming a way to provide unique experiences to customers, bringing the major improvements and developments of digital experiences into the physical spaces where we gather. And this doesn't just include stadiums, but hospitals, retail stores, or even your own house. I don't have to want to carry keys with me ever. I have a fob that I actually duplicated into a sticker to my phone. So you will never see me with keys. <laughs> But those are ways that I, you know, as a, as a true business hacker, I try to hack the system in a way so I can make my life easier with technology. Nelly Ortiz leads Globin's business hacking team in the United States. There's so many things that could be done with existing tech combined in new and interesting ways, uh, keeping in mind that, that frictionless experience for users and operators. Martin Nani is SVP of Technology for Globin's Hospitality Portfolio and also runs Globin's Smart Venue Studio. He introduced the idea that we don't need space-age technology to make these blends of physical and digital experiences possible. We have the technology now. Smart venues are already making our lives easier, but let's start from scratch. What do we mean when we talk about a smart venue? For me, a smart venue, or for us rather, a uh, smart venue is the extension of a digital experience into a physical space. Uh, we've seen how uh, 
when you're interacting with a location, generally, for example, when you're watching a football game, uh, generally the experience that you can have at home, uh, including all the, the, the digital add-ons like looking at the instant replay and, and looking at the trajectory that the ball took and looking at the stats and all those things, uh, haven't really translated well uh, into physical spaces and to, to real life, quote unquote. So what we try to do from the Smart Venue Studio is extend that experience into physical spaces and using technology like um, like image recognition, uh, like the IoT, uh, edge computing, and all those types of things, extend this uh, magical experience into your day-to-day uh, -day life, let's call it. Right. And I think I'll add to that because I, I think... A lot of my clients come to us and say, well, I want to enhance the experience my customers have in the venue. And I think that's great. That's what we do the most. And I think that's what people perceive the most when we talk about smart venues. However, it's much more than that. It's how do you actually make smart decisions with the assets that you have that you call right now venue? And that has a lot of questions to it. Is this venue truly sustainable? Is it secure? Is it safe? Is it reliable? Is it easy to access from all angles? You know, is it generating the most return on investment that I can create with these assets that I have? So that also has to do with, you know, what am I working on and what do I need to look into to make this venue truly smart and which technologies could we use to get there? So, for example, I'll give you a little something example, but something potentially that we could do is, okay, knowing and understanding where people are in, you know, let's say in a stadium, that's a typical smart venue use case. If the crowd is there, the density and the natural light, maybe we can reduce 20% of the electrical bill because we can reduce it with the people and the light that we have. So just understanding those little things, we can make a venue smarter from all angles. Absolutely. So there, there's tons of use cases. I, I mentioned in the beginning uh, a stadium, but we're also talking, you know, when, when you're walking through an amusement park, when you're, uh, when you're at a gas station, when you're, even when you're walking into uh, your your bank, uh, all those uh, all those places, all those experiences can be optimized and and like made better. Not just as Nelly was saying, not just for the consumer, the person that is that is interacting with those experiences, but the manager and the operator of those venues where they can uh, you know uh, take advantage of of optimizations that we can bring to to that operation. So on that note, do you have any concrete examples of a smart venue that you could elaborate? A little bit more on. I think there are several several cases that are super interesting. We recently released a Sentinel report on on one of them, which is the the Royal Caribbean success case, uh, where together with them, as part of a, a broad digital transformation that they were going through to to change all aspects of uh, crew and guest experience on their ships, uh, we helped them to really think about how they could evolve that experience in in that physical space. Uh, a, a particular thing about cruises that you might not have in, in maybe all other industries is that the the physical space that you have is A, very limited, and B, not growing, right? Uh, there, although there have been uh, cases where they split it, a ship down the middle, added a couple meters in the middle, and then put it back together, but that usually is not what's happening. Uh, so there were a lot of interesting conversations about how we can maximize the use of that space. There's things around, as Nelly said, how, how do you better even how do you better organize new ship builds uh, by analyzing uh, crowd movements, 
seeing where people are going, where people aren't, why they aren't going, and all those types of sort of pre-built questions. Uh, but also things like how do you incorporate new different experiences that, that uh, you don't necessarily have the ability to go in and change physical build parts. Uh, so through the use of VR and, and adding, like being able to uh, dynamically change experiences as you go, also augmented reality to uh, help people move around, all the different types of things that we were able to enable through technology. Uh, for me, that was a super interesting case. And it ranges from, as I said, uh, on the, on the front end thing side, when you're, when you're a passenger and you get to live these new experiences, but also on the sort of on the crew side, how do you provide them the technology that they need to enable those experiences? That case is really interesting. Can you tell us when you're working on right now? We can go into several other cases. One that I, one that we're, we're starting now, which I think is super, super interesting is the new LA Clippers Intuit Dome that is being built in LA. Uh, we are their uh, official transformation partner. And this is where basically we're pulling out all the stops and they basically said, go crazy. We want this to be the most amazing experience. We don't want any stadium to compare to it. Uh, we want it to be totally frictionless. We want to think about this a completely different way. So although this is one that is just starting out and uh, there, there's uh, not a ton that we can talk about it at this point, uh, that is right now one of the most exciting things because as I said, it was pretty much carte blanche to be crazy and, and think of the experience that will be innovative in four years when it opens and not even today. That sounds really exciting. Um, how are smart venues bringing new innovative experiences to life? What we try to do is when you're usually looking at a user flow and, and sort of seeing, okay, this is a pain point and this is a pain point, those, of course, are part of, of how we think about uh, when we go to a new venue to understand what we could potentially optimize about it. Um, but I, I think the, the heart of it isn't finding those pain points uh, and seeing how we can make them not so painful. Uh, I think at least the part that I find most fulfilling and most fun is when we can find the opportunities for a magic moment uh, and give the user or the crew member or whatever it may be, when we can give them that spark of magic in their day, that's the, the type of thing that I'm super excited about and the reason that I continue to, to work here in the studio and we continue to provide solutions for our clients. I think the biggest thing here is understanding what problem are we solving. And and this is just a framework that we have in Globin for everything that we do, right? Like in we're a technology, digitally native company, so we will always have technology in our heads and we know how to implement it. That's the easy side for us. But what we need to work with our partners and clients is understanding what problem are we really solving? What opportunity are we getting into that is going to be, as you know, Martin was saying, a magic moment and a ha moment? And, and then we start thinking about what is the impact that we're going to create with that? Are we gonna, you know, make the customer extremely excited, motivate him to come to the venue? Or are we gonna make him uh, buy merchandising? Are we gonna make him become more loyal to the team, to the um, artist, to the, um, you know, franchise? What is the type of client that we have for this venue, correct? And then we start thinking, okay, what is the effort, level of effort that we need to implement that? And so then we can see the impact that we have uh, hypothesize basically to get to. 
in that framework, you know, there's so many opportunities we see with the existing technology that we have. So we don't really need to invent the wheel here. We can, you know, apply the technology in so many ways to make those aha moments clear. And, you know, even just with clients, just thinking about what are those low hanging fruits that we can solve now that we have seen in other industries already happening, you know, in entertainment, there's so much innovation already in digital experiences that are happening. Why can we just implement in venues and, and others too? And then see that impact very, very quickly. So it's just that framework of how we think on solving the problems very fast with the existing technology. And when we see a very huge aha moment where we truly need to innovate and potentially have a new technology for something, that's even more exciting. <laughs> But then there's so much opportunity already what we have that is just trying to think about what's the first problem we're going to solve. That, that's a great point, Nelly. And, and what I, what, one of the great values that I see in, in that framework is that it allows you not, not only to think about, like as I said, you know, today we're thinking about a stadium. Uh, it allows you to scale up or down <laughs> as much as you need to. Like the, this is the same framework that we analyzed. Uh, of course, with with caveats and, and specifics for, for each thing. But even when we talk about a smart city, right, breaking the problem down into these types of questions allows us to reuse that type of framework and way to think about a problem that allows us to take these types of experiences to, to whatever scale that we're talking about. I completely agree on that one. I think right now uh, we're working hugely with actual cities and countries uh, in EMEA, in Europe and Asia, and I think you potentially will know already which countries are trying to be highly innovative and reconstruct cities from scratch, which is a huge potential for you to really understand how to make a city self-sustainable, how to make a city that uh, brings more tourism, that brings more money, that understands what their um, users, their citizens need so that they can solve for that proactively and can build a city from scratch to solve for that. I think it's extremely interesting in how we're evolving uh, the way that we built cities. Because before we just reacted to humans were first and then we adapt the environment as the specific needs we have now and with very little thinking of what comes into the future. And then when we start thinking about the future, we start adapting the venues and the places to our needs. However, now we're seeing that we're putting together strategy first and thinking how do we build a city that actually sustains humanity to the future, which I find fascinating. And this could actually go to us thinking even when we start exploring, let's say, you know, when we're exploring Mars, we're exploring the moon, how do we live as humans in those spaces. We need technology to survive, right? These are not environments that constantly are gonna give us what we already have, which is oxygen, gravity, what we're used to. So we need to adapt a space for us to live better or live a life that we used to have on earth to adapt to those um, environments. So it's so interesting for us to see that now it's not even just talking about a piece of land where there's concrete around us, but a potential planet or a potential space that's bigger than we used to plan for. I love it. Our next uh, our next use case is going to be terraforming Mars. <laughs> exactly. 
hey, we can just like knock in door of Elon Musk and say, what are we thinking about making Mars smart? <laughs> All jokes aside, like the that that's the the kind of mindset that we we try to bring to the table, right? We try to uh, use these tools to analyze problems, and and many times you encounter that they are sort of similar in in a sense. Uh, well, of course, maybe terraforming Mars will be a little bit more complex, <laughs> um, but. Uh, you know, getting back to, to the city example, uh, to, to try to get to something complex, but a little bit before before terraforming, um, what, what is it that you do at that city level uh, to really provide, you know, uh, to provide the administration of that city uh, with tools to be able to optimize and, and, you know, help the city become everything that it can be, like reach its full potential. Uh, and a lot of that revolves around data. Um, and, and what we found at this level with data is that it ends up being a lot about trust, right? Uh, how do you trust the system, the system being, you know, the government, not just the government itself, but also like all the technology around that, that your data will be used for what you want it to be used, not be used for what you don't want it to be used, not be used against you, quote unquote, and so on and so forth. Um, and, and this is, this is a problem that we're, you know, working hard to, to, to solve. The, the trust problem is, is something that is not a minor issue. Um, and also I'm seeing that a lot of the developments that we're seeing, for example, in Web 3.0 and around blockchain and how blockchain enables you to be the owner of your data and share the piece of that that you want uh, for the time that you want to share it and not afterwards and make sure that you can, can have very close traceability of what is being done or used with your data. Uh, I think that's going to enable, as that becomes more prevalent, it's going to enable like really crazy use cases that we can almost just scratch the surface surface today. Yes, to that point, we actually have worked, and this is something you know we weren't just talking about something more tangible, right? So if we don't want to uh, right now transform Mars, let's go to like a, a, con a country. Let's, for example, we have worked with the Metropolitan Police in London. And, you know, it's very tangible what we could do with data to actually transform our process or just like the behaviors of um, behaviors and partnerships between police and society. And then looking at kind of like the pain points that um, a population might have with, you know, the forces that protects us and how can we actually help more or enable uh, a police force, you know, and this goes for any type of country. Like we want to be protected. We want to be a safe country or a safe city. And how do we do that with the technology that we currently have? How do we reduce that, you know, a time officers spend charging reports, for example, instead of actually being more executive and actually solve for that problem? Let's maybe reduce road traffic and, and actually start understanding what can we do there? Um, you know, we can train officers in a better, more uh, way with like, you know, technology that we have. Maybe we can reduce calls to a call center so then they can actually go into what's important. With AI, we can do that. We can increase um, online crime reporting. You know, we can do so much with data that we already have. It's just how do we consume it? How do we get clear insights? How do we actually um, enable our clients into make better decisions faster so they can solve for the problems they need to get to more efficiently. That's all so fascinating. 
What can we expect from the evolution of smart venues? Ooh, I like that question. <laughs> I think um, so. I've I've become um, very interested in in anything that has to do with emerging tech, and I think from the business side, just seeing how uh, many of my clients are asking me constantly around, you know. Web3, uh, we're talking about metaverse. Um, I think, you know, I've seen um, the digital world coming up very clearly ages ago, but now I think the future is really the true blend between digital and physical. You know, from the virtual world to the physical and from the physical to the virtual. What that means is really just having that unique virtual experience and real life experience, experience simultaneously. So, you know, right now we have concepts that we, and I think Martin also just mentioned it, a concept of digital twin. That's the, probably the easiest way to understand how to converge those two worlds uh, even now. So if we have a digital twin of a stadium, for example, of as Martin was saying, of a cruise line, of a cruise, um, you can do so much with it. A digital twin is the exact replica of the, the venue itself and everything that happens in between. So systems, personal, um, you know, the people coming in. So you can basically run a lot of, um, let's say forecast what happens in different scenarios. So you can predict outcomes beforehand and be prepared for any type of scenario accurately. So it's actually, you can potentially be quicker to respond to emergency, be more accurate in the way that you forecast the people that are coming and how you're actually going to, um, you know, manage um, the volume. You can have efficient way to really understand what to do next or how to expand or how do you run experience. You can A-B test with potential metaverse avatars what you want to do in the actual venue and vice versa. And then maybe in the future you can have uh, you know, a friend that is able to, you know, be in an experience and have another friend, in a, you know, basically one in real life, one in virtual, having a hub where they can communicate throughout a game and actually co do commentary and trying to do touch points. And if you think about it, you can uh, elongate the experience for them because it's not just the event. So if it's a soccer game, for example, before you will get into the soccer game, watch it and go home and you forget about it. What happens in between? What happens beforehand? Can you do events? You can do experiences that are virtual to enhance that or in the same venue that are kind of digital so you can um, enhance the experience itself. And maybe after, you know, an example could be you can watch in slow motion every part of the game. You can always come back and do snapshots of it and comment with your friends. You can build a community through that digital experience that you just saw physically in other ways. So it's just true blend between digital and physical that I'm ex extremely excited about. Absolutely, and, and on, on the digital twin aspect of, of the house, so many interesting use cases around that. Like Nelly mentioned a lot of them, but even being able to, to predict uh, flows of people and, and sort of simulate how crowds move around and. Uh, a, in regular instances, so, you know, deciding, should I put this trash can here or trash can there, even before you build, uh, so you can really have accurate simulations of how people move around, uh, but also in response to, to dangerous situations where you can't really, you know, you, you can't put people in your venue and light a fire to figure out how people are going to move around and if there's any particular thing 
of how you designed it that's going to sort of be uh, less efficient for that movement. Uh, technology allows us to run all those simulations in, in a very safe environment uh, and like catch them beforehand. Uh, so a, a lot of times the, the work that we do is invisible in the sense that you'll never see it because we prevented things from, from getting bad in a sense. So we've talked a, a lot about smart venues. We touched on smart cities. Uh, can we talk a little bit about a smart building, how that differentiates from something like a sports venue and how buildings could benefit from some of these ideas that you've discussed? Oh my God. So I, from experience, <laughs> I, do, I just moved to Miami two years ago and I was in New York City for 10. I do have to say technology-wise, New York has an upper hand <laughs> in smart buildings. Um, I think also because we have bigger buildings, we have um, a little bit of more a systematic way to approach it. So small things like concierge, um, maybe if you move out, I think in New York City, you have a lot of this problem, people are moving, it's a very transactional city. So if you move out or move in, you want to sell your furniture that costs, you know, sometimes thousands of dollars. And, you know, you can post that online and people can have it in small communities where you can transport it even. Um, so everything could be systemized. So where do you put that you want to sell, you know, your furniture? In Miami, you print it out and put it in a board <laughs> that no one sees. Um, so then that doesn't happen. Right. So small things like that is just using technology in smart ways for to make people's life better. But of course, if we go to the magnitude of, for example, making a smart building. So when there's a Sandy, you know, when there was a huge hurricane that happened in Manhattan that we're actually not used to, whereas Miami actually is used to, here potentially there's uh, buildings that are already smart anti-hurricane buildings where they are ready for that, ready for emergencies. They have uh, systematic ways to approach that and the building infrastructure already is uh, prepare for it. Whereas in New York City, you don't have that. There was a lot of, um, you know, buildings underwater, basically. All of the lobbies were submerged. You, the energy went down. Everything went down. So um, I think it's just really, again, same framework, seeing what problems and opportunities we have to solve with technology to make a building extremely smart. So then we can have not just a better life, but also a safer life when things that are around us surprise us. Yeah, and, and as Nelly said earlier, I would say it's not necessarily just about the building per se, like the, the concrete and metal and uh, glass and you know all these physical things, but also the people that live inside there, the, the people that work there, uh, and how you know at the end of the day, it's this almost living and breathing ecosystem with so many moving pieces and how we can bring in technology to help those pieces coexist in a better way from uh, something silly like, you know, my, my upstairs neighbor is playing music at 3 a.m. Uh, and I have small kids and I, uh, you know, don't want to have to uh, deal with that all the time to like more concrete things like uh, how do we get rid of this waste that we're generating all the time? Uh, are, are all types of questions that we would try to uh, think about when we're putting together what the use case would be for a smart building in this case. Right. 
And so much you can do by yourself. Like I am a very, I'm a big advocate of smart homes and I do have almost every device. I thought, I, I know there's people that are against Alexis and Googles because they, you know, inspect your life. Basically, they hear you all the time. We all know this, but you know, I know for sure everyone has my information currently. So I know the value that they bring me and I know the value I give them, which is my data. I know what they can use the data for, which is actually personalize more of their information, advertising and products to me. So I have Alexa to control everything in terms of music and uh, digital assistance in my home. And I have Google for all the lights. So when people come to my home, I always said, hey, Google, turn on all the lights. And it turns literally all the lights in my home. So small things like that makes my life easier. But then if I, for example, I also have a digital key for my door, which my building doesn't have access to, but then I can have a digital key. I can give it to certain people and to enter my apartment, but I don't have, you know, they don't have a key for that. So then I have a certain security I can control. So it gives me control. So what if we can implement certain things to buildings that are, that brings the community um, to, first of all, have a better, easier life, right? I don't have to want to carry keys with me ever. I have a fob that I actually duplicated into a sticker to my phone. So then I don't have to carry ever a fob for my building or a key for my door. So you will never see me with keys. <laughs> but those are, those are ways that I, you know, as a, as a true business hacker, I try to hack the system in a way so I can make my life easier with technology. Right. So that that's why I think business hacking the name is for. It's really like, how do we actually make your life easier, your users' life easier with the technology that already exists? And sometimes it's as simple because it's available to you already, but then you just need to figure out how to implement it. You talked a lot about how you have hacked your own kind of personal access to your home and, and ways that you've kind of hacked your own life to make things easier. What are some more examples of how users are benefiting from smart venues or smart buildings? And then alternatively, how are businesses benefiting um, from these innovations? I've actually been reading a lot of the case and evolution of it. And there's more and more interested now because I think the technology has evolved to a point that you can actually apply a lot of this, what we thought would be future thinking. And that's why I said future is now at the beginning, because I really do think the future is present currently. Like I was just reading in China, they have the first campus where they have smart grass. <laughs> and I find this fascinating because I think one of the biggest problems that the, let's say sports teams have is that your uh, athletes get injured. So ways to actually reduce that risk with technology are so much, so many opportunities, right? You have all the things that they have touch points with from like the grass. If you talk about, let's say soccer, football, the grass has a lot to do with it. The impact they have, how do they put their feet? You can measure with data. You can get so many touch points and inputs that you can actually start thinking on how do you improve the quality of the grass for them. Let's say that it's snowing or there's raining that also involves risk. Like how do we control those environments so that there's less risk for the athletes? There's so much we can do also internally on like preparing them, knowing, you know, let's say their vitals, understanding where they are, maybe understanding the 
um, historical data from all your athletes and where do they actually get injured? How, uh, how many times, how do they recoup? You know, every metabolism is different, but I think in healthcare, there's so much improvement. It goes beyond the venue, but this is to say that all of this is a holistic environment that we need to take into consideration. When we talk about smart venues, we're not just talking about the physical asset itself, but who the people that are inside it. So it's understanding all of these mechanisms and how do we optimize not only the venue, but like what makes the venue an event exciting. It's there's so much potential there and, and there's so much that we can work on. Many times it's less of a question of uh, technology, you know, space age technology. And many times it's how you bring in existing pieces of technology, how you make different systems talk to each other in a way that that is is seamless for everybody involved. Um, we found that, that a lot of times it, it's, it's about that. It's not really thinking about, you know, how can I bring in or, or how can I take advantage of technology that doesn't really exist today or that, you know, is being developed or all those types of things. There's so many things that could be done with existing tech combined in new and interesting ways, uh, keeping in mind that, that uh, sort of frictionless experience for users and operators. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think Martin and I are collectors of miles and travel just because of the nature of our work, right? And I've been a consultant for more than 15 years. So just traveling, it's a big part of my life. And there's a lot that we can do in airports and just the way that we manage um, the process of getting into a plane, getting into a new country. You know, I have global entry. So it's just, it's uses face recognition, and it's the eye retina really that reads you. Um, but you still have a human interacting at the end, making sure that you are that person. And last time I went, so I'm a dual citizen, Colombian and US, went to Colombia, and we also have biotech. And with my eyes, I can just get in and there's, I don't have to see a person. And I was surprised because, you know, you say, okay, United States, you know, it's, it's the technology hub, but it's because the technology, and Martin was saying, the technology already exists. Is how we apply it and, you know, how do we apply it in a process so it's seamless and then you're actually more accurate because a person can see you, but they can be disguised and biased about who that person is, whereas you can't really trick certain technologies and the level of accuracy that we have with them. So we're actually more secure, more safe, and in a way, um, more efficient um, in the way that we can apply technology in these type of environments. So what would you say that the biggest challenges are in regards to smart venues? What challenges do they face as we continue to progress into the future? I think a big challenge is where to start from. A lot of the times our clients come to us and they want to boil the ocean. You know, I, I know that there's so many ideas out there. They want to do it all. But, you know, as anything, it's a great thing to have a big vision but you need to start somewhere. So we need to start thinking about how do we prioritize? How do we think what's, what are those um, one, two, five initiatives we can start now so that we can see the greatest impact, but in a way, see the vision and how do we scale to the big picture? And, and I think that's the, I feel the, the hardest thing to do for anyone, anyone in technology is really prioritizing where do they start from? And then how do they create the most impact with what they have? 
I couldn't agree more. And and a lot of times it's it's a matter of finding uh, like just not not just low hanging fruit, but doing the comparison of cost versus impact uh, and being able to provide those those quick wins and and maximize that impact where even that itself helps you to in a, in a very agile way it helps you to gain momentum and to get the whole not just the organization internally your users everybody that that is sort of involved uh, get them very much aligned with the project and and really pushing forward whereas um, if you go for a boil the ocean approach uh, which we many times you know it, it, it tends to be uh, compelling because you say oh it's going to be huge and paint this enormous picture but if you're not careful about you know selecting very carefully what those initial quick wins are that effort fizzles because you set up an expectation that is so high that you aren't able to quickly deliver on and it's very hard to uh sort of sell that as a result internally um so again echoing nelly the key here is is quick wins. Paint that picture, have that vision of the future so you can rally people behind it, but then start deploying the quick wins so people can say, hey, he, you know, they said they were going to do this and they very quickly started showing results. This is something that I can get behind. Are there any additional examples that we may not have touched on? I'm not, not exactly sure how to phrase this, but I think that the sort of the data piece and Web3 and the... Um, uh, how, how blockchain fits into that and making users owners of their data and decision makers on how that data gets used. I think that's a key piece of what smart venues are, especially when it means, uh, you know, when we're talking about hugely scaled like smart cities, but even and in a much smaller scale like stadiums, we're having those same types of conversations of uh, who owns the data, how do we use it responsibly, um, and again, the evolution of this is eventually as, as these technologies develop and people get more comfortable with them, new use cases arise. Um, I think that's where a lot of the, the change and innovation is going to come when people start owning and, and requiring from any experience that they interact with that they continue to be those owners of that information. And I think that's what a huge shift is, is going to come in the next couple of years. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how uh, everybody adapts to that. I agree completely. I think when I was saying the example of, you know, me understanding how they use the data, you know, when I have my smart home, correct? So if Amazon is using my data to personalize products and advertising to me, I'm okay with that. But then when you're not okay with that and you want to make sure that they have a piece of your data and not all of it, they don't, they potentially don't need to know your birthday or you don't want them to know your birthday, then you have to be able to access that data to make sure that they don't have it, right? So then how do you control that data? This is where blockchain has become so important for us. And this is why... I think all these Web3 technologies have become so interesting for individuals because they, in the in the concept of ownership of data, that's what really is. It's like you have a transparent, transparent network where each individual 
has the power of just sharing whatever they need to share for that specific transaction. So when we talk about smart venue and let's say a franchise, sports franchise, maybe you have uh, a ticket that it's in a blockchain and that ticket is unique to you, but that ticket is can have every other ticket that you potentially have for every game that you are part of. And you can just give the data on the transaction of each, basically each transaction will have just a specific data set that I'm willing to share because of that uh, event, that value that you're gonna give me. Um, and then that will give more power to the user in terms of the transferability of their data. And I think what Martin was saying about just a bigger case, it's like, for example, what if my passport information is in a blockchain? How fun would that be? Because I wouldn't have to carry a piece of paper, literally a little book with 52 pages. I have to do because I have to, <laughs> I have to have more stamps. Um, but like that's, you know, if, if, if we look back potentially like 15 years later and we look back and we'd say, how insecure was it when we had papers as documentations that will uh, prove our identity? And then later you'll have technologies that are quote unquote unhackable. And then that actually secure that you are that person and it's proven by a distributed ledger of a network that we have built secure enough for everyone to know, right? So it's it's just, I think the evolution, um, it's, it's happening now and hopefully we get there fast enough because I think it will make it easier, more secure, safer, and more efficiently for everyone. After two years in a pandemic, we have come to expect our digital experiences to be powerful, personalized, and highly engaging. And we are now bringing those higher expectations into the physical world. Arenas, conference centers, cruise ships, concert halls, hospitals, and even apartments, they all need to provide a new level of convenience and customer service. And as Martine mentioned, improve that experience with unexpected magic. Those are the memories that last and provide loyalty, and the technology to create them is already available. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more insights on season two of Unscripted Tech, a Globant original podcast where we reflect on developments that will shape our future. To learn more about how we seek reinvention, go to globant.com and follow our show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.